Welcome back, boys and girls, for another special edition of the Patreon series. Joining me tonight is Mr. Stephen Bassett. He is a prominent figure in the field of ufology and extraterrestrial disclosure activism. He is the founder and executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, an organization dedicated to advocating for government disclosure of the existence of extraterrestrial life. Now, without further ado, let's bring in our guest, Mr. Stephen Bassett. And joining me right now is Mr. Stephen Bassett. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Michael. Just fine. Very good. I'm glad you're here. And before we begin, I just wanted to say thank you very much for spending some time here with us. And, you know, I have a great respect for you. And what I mean by that, I mean, I don't really tell every guest that as someone who's been at it for as long as you have. Well, that's uh, kind of you. I appreciate it. Uh, it that is uh, the currency that keeps activists doing what they do. Absolutely. And it was the very first time. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I heard you. The very first time I heard you was way back in 1997 with Art Bell. No kidding. Absolutely. That was the first time I've ever heard from one Stephen Bassett, and of course it was through Art Bell, and all these years later I've always thought, my god, this guy is still going strong, he still believes firmly in what he talks about clearly, and uh, here we are, Mr. Bassett, in 2023, have your sort of thoughts and opinions on this matter, have they changed at all since 97? Certainly. By the way, I, it's a shame that Art wasn't able to stick around right. for what's about to come, uh, because he wasn't that old when he died. I think he could have easily made it, but he, he had health issues. Uh, but he made a contribution, extraordinary contribution, by giving the activism and the politics of this a platform. Even though he wasn't particularly crazy about politics, he left political talk to get into the unusual, the show that he, he eventually became famous for. Uh, but he understood that this issue is political, uh, not just science. And so uh, he brought me on, he brought others on. And so right then, with his show, I believe that the activist engagement of this issue had the largest audience ever that it ever had uh, on a regular basis. I don't know how many art bells I did, 15, 20, I don't know. But uh, that's, that was really significant. I, don't, I, don't, I hope he understood that, that he realized the contribution that he had made. Um, he was an unusual man. Right. Never uh, really. I don't. Did I meet him in person? I don't think I ever did. Anyway, look, uh, my my views have evolved, of course. Sure. Since, like, I would so. I would expect that you have changed maybe some opinions you had, and you know, right off the bat here, just for those who aren't too familiar with you, Mr. Bass said, um, I just wanted to quickly add, what was the impetus behind your initial interest in ufology and extraterrestrial disclosure? It's complicated uh, in a way. I just made a decision at the age of 49 that it just what, everything I was doing previously at the time really didn't mean anything to me. just had no purpose. It's not unusual. People may have a life that's just paying the rent, making money, paying the rent, and it's not doesn't have any purpose to it or substance. And they make a decision they want to go in that direction, and they could do almost anything. But often they'll get involved in some form of, activism, some form of nonprofit work. And I made that decision at the age of 49 and 95. I wasn't sure, though, what it was going to be. 
However, my interest in the issue had always been there. I'd followed it. But I was very stimulated, very impacted by uh, a book called Abduction by John Mack. When I read that, and I'd read other books here and there. I, I, I was never formally involved. I never joined anything. I, I'd never been to a conference. Uh, I think I'd been to one lecture uh, on the subject my, uh, pre previously. Uh, but I, I read John Mack's book. And, of course, he was a Pulitzer Prize winning Harvard psychiatrist running the psychiatric section of the hospital there, Cambridge, Harvard's Cambridge Hospital. And he was, he was engaging the uh, contactees. He was studying them, uh, working with them to try to develop some scientific uh, papers that would meet, quote, the uh, required level of, uh, of uh, scientific uh, uh, authority. And, and it was, he's the only one really doing it that way. And, of course, his prestige as a well-known humanitarian and a Pulitzer Prize winner and all that really impressed me. And I'm saying, wow, this issue has come of age. It, it's happening. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? And, well, there's a lot of ways I could have gone, but I got really lucky. Because in the back of the book was the address and for, I think maybe even the phone number too, for the organization that he had set up in Cambridge, the Program for Extraordinary Experience Research. And I was able to call them up and convince them from, uh, call them up from literally California, convince them uh, I'd like to come out and volunteer uh, as a development person, right? Help in, in a, more of the finance side because I had some business background. And they agreed. And so I pretty much left everything behind in a way and, and, and uh, went to Cambridge and spent four months, four, four and a half, four and five months there doing what I could meeting contactees, getting into the issue. Obviously, it was very exciting because I, I'm, I'm at this entity that had been created by this amazing man, John Mack, who won a Pulitzer Prize, by the way, for, the, for a psychological, autobiography, uh, psychological biography of T.E. Lawrence. Um, and it was there. And so that's how I got in. Where I was going to go, I didn't know. But I took the plunge. Right. I wish I had done more of that in my life. I, my life, I'd always been way too careful. Not afraid, to, not really uh, willing to take chances. I see. Uh, and risk. But this time I did. And while I was up there, I came to realize something very important. That the issue was not science anymore. It wasn't about science anymore. It wasn't about who can get the papers done, how many reports can you get, how much proof can you pile up, so that the government will go, oh, wow, you, you've shown that it's clearly true. No. It was political, national security-based politics. The decision by the government to not confirm what we increasingly all knew was true was a national security decision made in late 1940s, early 1950s, that was still in place in 1996 when I went out to Cambridge. And that's where you had to go. That's, that's where it was going to get resolved. And so... I'd, I, my time at Cambridge was up. I was a volunteer. Great. But you, you can't do that indefinitely. And I went to Washington where I'd lived off and on for years, had family set up, uh -huh. filed as a lobbyist with the House and Senate and became the first lobbyist to dare to put that in their description. So when it, when it was re reviewed by the Washington Post, they said, oh, well, that's interesting. They came out, interviewed me, put a huge article up on the Washington Post. 
and uh, my activist career as a quote UFO lobbyist, which I this is just a small part of what I do, began. Right, and that's really how it unfolded. Very nice. Yes, at Washington D.C. I guess that would be the place to do all this then. Yeah, the right place, I should say. That's where it's, and not surprisingly, twenty six years later, that's where it's all coming down. Absolutely. Just didn't think it would take that long. I could not have imagined. Yes. When I, mm -hmm. when I fought as a lobbyist with the House and Senate in 1997, that 26 years later, we would still not have had the, uh, the end of that policy. Uh, though I understand why right, it's yes. lasted this long, but I wouldn't have believed it then. But now it's coming to an end, thank goodness, and I'm still here. I was going to say it must frustrate you to some degree that it took this long in order for the government to be somewhat transparent even though not so transparent, if you know what I mean. Again, the fundamental issue is they're going to confirm the ET presence or not. And yeah, it's frustrating uh, for me, uh, having got into it in 96. Yeah. But there were people that had been in the issue, even people still alive, that got into the issue back in the 50s, 60s. So I can't be too frustrated because imagine how long right. they have been waiting for something they have known to be absolutely true going as far back as 50 years, uh, waiting for the government to finally go, oh, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. There, there are ETs here. Sorry, it took so long to tell you. <laughs> uh, yes, and um, how do you feel about the term UAP in general? I mean, personally, I like saying UFO, but what exactly is your opinion on, on just that simple matter? Well, I, 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 I played a role. I, I worked hard along with others to get that term UAP. I was putting that out in various ways oh, a long time ago. And uh, there was a very important reason for it. What, what is that? I, I need to know. Okay. In activism, all activism is basically about trying to get the authority to do something it doesn't want to do. All right. It's trying to get Southern states to end their segregation laws. It's trying to get the British to leave India. Right. Uh, and so forth. It's always like that. It's trying to get uh, the government to end the war in Vietnam, get rid of nukes, whatever. It's always about that. And governments are powerful and heavily funded, and it's not easy to do it. It can take decades and decades and decades. So being an activist on a major issue, if you're in a local thing, like you're an activist locally and you're trying to get, I don't know, more uh, 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 people out working to clean the streets in your city, that's that doesn't take decades. But if you're talking about an issue of huge implications, uh, macroscopic, national level, global level, mm, believe me, it is brutal. Uh, and so there are things that you need to do. And if you study all of the great activist movements of the 20th century, there are a number of things which are common to those movements, all of which and by and large succeeded. And one of the most important aspects of activism is language. You have to, one, move the issue, the language in the issue that, that is in the issue that the government is using and the government has created. Move out of that and create your own language, language which more appropriately reflects the truth of the matter. And that makes it easier for more people, more institutions to engage it. And language is, I can't emphasize how important language is. People say, well, it's just the issue. Get the issue, fix it. No, no, no. Activism is about communication. It's about creating 
collaborative efforts, uh, raising money, getting journalists to pay attention. It's huge. And a classic example, and, and one of many I could pick, but there's one. And, and this is not a partisan statement I'm making. Sure. A classic example of awful language being shoved into uh, an activist effort was a while back because of major problems we're having with police uh, actions and how they're dealing with citizens. Somebody came up with the idea of defund the police. Right, yes. So they made this a big thing. Defund the police, defund the police. Awful, awful language. Totally not appropriate, bogus, over the top. And it set back that effort substantially. And there are many examples of this. So respect to the UAP issue yes. or the ET issue, th this thing has now been underway for 76 years. And in order to, for the truth embargo to succeed... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In a democratic republic like ours, where we don't just throw people in prison and torture them or execute them at, our, at leisure, uh, you have a lot of free speech and everything else. You've one of the things you've got to do is you've got to demean, undermine, and ridicule the subject. You've got to make it silly, nonsensical, waste of time, whatever, so that anybody that gets into it is is viewed that way. I see. Demean them, right? So even even if you're a Harvard professor or a Harvard psychiatrist like like Matt, you might might be uh, uh, treated poorly and 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 uh, criticized for wasting your time. You might even be reviewed by the Harvard University, which is exactly what they did. You might have to spend $250,000 to defend yourself. Uh, but in general, right, you could just be you at Thanksgiving dinner and you, you, you bring up UFOs and all of a sudden your, 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 your siblings or your cousins or whatever are laughing at you and making yeah. fun of you. They dismiss you if you say that. Ridicule. Right. Well, in order to make ridicule in order for ridicule like that to work, you need a target. You, in other words, you need a poison pill. And if you look at all the activist movements, you find these poison pills. And in the case of the disclosure effort movement, wasn't called that, but that's what it's been since the first person that came forward and said, wait a minute, uh, who that is, I don't know, but it goes certainly all the way back to Donald Keogh, was UFO, unidentified flying object which is a phrase which doesn't particularly offend. It's unidentified, it's flying, and it's an object. Though by being an unidentified flying object, clearly that makes it special, unusual. But it's not awful. But UFO, particularly the acronym, became the target of ridicule. And so the government would say that the UFO people, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, people who believe in UFOs, they, 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 we, there's nothing going on there. UFO, UFO, UFO. And, and as and then the skeptics, of course, jump in, the debunkers jump in and they attack the issue and they, they need a target. So it's UFO. Right? They can't target you individually. What they do is target everybody that uses that phrase or uses that acronym that covers everyone. 
I can give you other examples, but I don't want to go there because I don't want to get into yeah. the unpleasantness that is in the world that has to be dealt with. Well, it way. makes sense, though, what you're saying to me personally. I, I think that does make plenty of sense. But that's not the value. The real value is this, okay? It's, it's if UFO is the, is the seed kernel for the accretion of ridicule decade after decade, and now you've got to move this issue forward. You want to get the politicians involved. You want to get high-level media involved. You want to get scientists involved. You've got to give them a better, not a better per se, but you've got to give them another way to refer to the subject that doesn't have the ridicule. Yes, exactly. Okay? In other words, scrape the poop off your sneakers, right, and give them, or rather, rather than scrape the poop off your sneakers which in this case you can't do get a brand new pair of sneakers and give them that and so we push to give them another term unidentified aerial phenomena UAP means exactly the same thing basically yes but it doesn't have 50 years 50 years of stigma behind it stigma right. exactly and so and, and there was this moment in okay. the 2016 election campaign when I guess you could say we arrived. This effort to finally get it there arrived. And it was uh, an odd moment, but it was when Senator Clinton, who was running for president and the leading candidate, went on Jimmy Kimmel. I take some credit for that. And uh, interviewed by him. And, 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 and he's asking her very similar questions that he asked her husband when he came on and Barack Obama when he came on. And Because it's all set up. It's all scripted. And uh, she says... Uh, well, there's a new term now, UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which was helpful to her because she was forced by a lot of things I was doing at the time, working with about 40 different journalists to try to get them to write articles about her connection to this issue and her husband and John Podesta, her campaign chair. And we succeeded, and they were getting a lot of calls, and so they had to deal with the issue. UAP was a term a lot easier for her to say than UFO. And so she embraced it, mentioned it, and I guess that's when we arrived. So now we had a term that wasn't demeaned, did not have the stigma, but referred exactly to the phenomenon. Now, what's interesting about that is that that was just the beginning. Because as you move forward from 2017 on, you're seeing other terms turning up, which are both appropriate and without stigma. As the, uh, the, the, the Congress and the Department of Defense and others and journalists start readjusting and adapting to the new uh, uh, paradigm here, namely that the DT thing is going to get revealed pretty soon. And so you had uh, the problem uh, as they... As when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As they got more acquainted with the issue, they learned, like many of us have already, already known for decades, these things just don't fly in the air. They go underwater, or they can go two, 300 miles an hour, which is a little faster than Russian submarines. Right? And so what about that? Also, they're seen in space. 
outside our atmosphere where our planes can't go. And there's evidence that they go underground. And so what happened is they, and, 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 and the government knowing that and knowing where things were going, they realized UAP was not going to be enough. And so one phrase that turned up was UAP, unidentified anomalous mm. phenomenon, right? Which generalizes it, doesn't it? So that was interesting. Right. And Mr. Yeah. Bassett, I, I hate to interrupt you here, but it, it kind of sounds like you're turned away from the microphone slightly. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. The microphone fell off to the side. Forgive me. I, I, I did, did. Were you able to catch though pretty oh, much yes. what I was saying? I, I okay. heard you perfectly. Just it Thank sounded... you. Sorry. I, microphone dropped off. So no worries. Okay. As, as things move forward, this anomaly thing started to become a thing. Right. And so the, 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 the program that was uh, being set up at the Department of Defense, or at least uh, run by the Department of Defense and the uh, intelligence, National Intelligence Office, um, went through several name changes uh, to try to reflect how things were developing, right? As this thing was shaping and they're adjusting to the demands in the legislature. And most of the names are not particularly satisfactory. They finally ended up with what will be the name for the military intelligence complex, which is the whole shebang represented by this entity, which is uh, what I like to call referred to as a cross agency committee. Some call it a interagency committee, meaning it is a lot of people that are as part of their other job, right? Or in addition to their other job, whatever they're doing at the CIA and the Navy and the Air Force, they also have a responsibility to address issues with this interagency committee. So it's like having a lot of employees, but they're all, quote, part-time. They ended up with All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, A-A-R-O, which had a decent acronym. The other ones had a terrible acronyms. But it's very significant. Why this? Why did they end up with this? Well, first of all, all domain means space, air, water, earth. All right. So they got it all covered. All domain anomaly. Anomaly means not just something flying around, floating around, cruising through space. It means something that is anomalous. Right. But clearly relevant to the core mission of this uh, of this interagency committee, which everyone knows is dealing with the ET issue, the, the non-human intelligence issue. So it covers even more. Like, what else could it be covering that would come under the aegis of this subject? How about crop circles? Now, I'm not suggesting that they're they're interviewing anybody to testify about crop circles right now, though one day that'll happen. But crop circles are not made by humans. Some of them are, but most of them are not. That is a heaty phenomena. So that's covered. How about the still as yet dis uh, explained uh, and, and somewhat disturbing phenomena of animal harvesting, sometimes called animal mutilation? Cattle mutilation, yes. Or cattle mutilation, though cattle are not the only animals. Right. This yes. phenomena, which has cost, which is, which has been, uh, has, has been a, a, a result of losses of thousands of thousands of important, valuable livestock to ranchers who don't like that. In spite of that, has never been explained. The government doesn't even try. That's because it's extraterrestrial. Non-humans are doing this. So there's another one. 
Okay, so you got two right there. So you see all domain an anomaly, uh, all domain anomaly re re resolution office, right, covers it all. Now most people wouldn't know that, but if you've been spending decades looking at this thing, you know that. So this is good language. It's a good acronym. So the language is now shifting our way, away from the stigma, away from the history, into the modern era, reflecting the reality of this. And that is one of the reasons why my confidence that the government has finally made the decision that yes, we have a right to know. Yes, we have a need to know, right? Yes, it is the law, okay? And yes, we can handle this truth. And they are finally going to give us what we have mm. been demanding for these decades, confirmation of the extraterrestrial presence. Well, I really appreciate you breaking that down for us. It seems to make a lot more sense in that regard. And, uh, you know, now I am fully on board with, with the name change. I, I do understand that there is some stigma involved with yeah. the whole UFO thing. So that makes plenty of sense to me now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I understand why people that are new to this issue, the millennials, they what, what, why? Isn't it UFO? What is it going on? That's okay. That's why you have activists. Their job is to move things in the right direction, clarify, educate. So people who have busy lives, in order yeah, I mean, to not everyone bills, raise yeah, their kids, right, can still have a sense of what's going down because every what's going to happen very soon is going to affect the lives of every single living person on the planet, whether they like it or not. Well, I sure hope so. I, I want this. I want our government to be fully transparent on this issue. And furthermore, on Wednesday, April 19th, that already passed, mm -hmm. there was the Senate hearing again. Uh, briefing. Briefing, rather. Yes, not a hearing, a briefing. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious what your take was on that. Some say, well, we didn't really take much away from this. Look, let me just, let me just, just to give you a relatively recent uh, some relatively recent examples of some things that have come forward, come out, that are absolutely unprecedented, meaning you can go all the way back to Roswell, you can't find this. It's just, it, we are, we, I, I can't emphasize enough to people that either don't know much about this issue, who are new, which is pretty much most of the millennials, God bless them, or to the people that have been around a long time and still know this issue how significant these recent developments are and why we are at the end game of the truth embargo. Just to, this is just a few. On my website, uh, paradigmresearchgroup.org, uh, under resources in the menu, you go down and you find print media archive and you click on that, you get a flash page, punch through that and you get to the archive where there's 13,000 articles linked to this issue but in just in the last five years, there's well over 4,000 articles in mainstream media. I'm triaging this. I'm not just picking anything. I'm picking stuff from mainstream substantial publications, not little fringe websites or any of that. Right. 4,000 articles. You can spend days reading about what has happened in just the last four years. And so what I'm going to present here is just a few things that have happened in the last four years. February 20, February 16th. 2023. Marco Rubio, who is presently the ranking member of the Senate Intel Committee, formerly the chairman of the Senate Intel Committee, and the senator that put the first language into legislation on this issue 
in 2020 in the uh, slipped it into the uh, the the NDAA National uh, Defense Authorization Act, which at, at the time was part of an omnibus bill called the COVID uh, bill. Uh, so uh, he puts out a press release from his office, which of course makes the rounds, but didn't people don't follow press releases that much from congressional offices. Rubio Gillibrand, Gillibrand lead bipartisan push to strengthen unidentified aerial phenomena office. Interesting. Now the office is arrow. They could have said arrow, but they wanted people to understand what is arrow. It's the aerial phenomena office. But of course, it's more than just that. But again, this reflects the language uh, evolution, evolution of language. Right. And so just quickly, the opening says the all domain anomaly resolution office is tasked with focusing the Department of Defense on resolving unidentified aerial phenomena, sighting, uh, phenomena sightings, improving data sharing between DOD and the intelligence community on UAP sightings, addressing national security concerns and reporting health effects people may have experienced in relation to UAP reports. By the way, this is one of the first times and may be the only, at the time, the only time at that point where a member of Congress acknowledged that there have been health effects from people who are having sightings, particularly up close, people like John Burrow and others. So, whoa. That's pretty big. And this has been going on. Cash Landrum, we could go back and back and back. No, first time. So right off the bat, I'm going, whoa. And it goes on. It says, amid heightened focus on airborne national security risk. And by the way, airborne risks, like we don't want the planes flying into them, legitimate issue, though it never happens because the ET craft are rather nimble. Uh, but nevertheless, security, national security, the, this is the, the logical basis for them to get involved safely, politically, and so forth. And that's what they're going to do. It's okay. That does not mean that they're on some hell-bent effort to convince us the ETs are here to take our souls or take over the planet. It just means that that is the political basis on which they are currently moving forward. Continuing, U.S. Senators Marco Rubio and Kirsten Gillibrand led a bipartisan push for full funding of Arrow. Arrow has access to DOD and intelligence community, UAP data, and is required to provide Congress with briefings. Notice, briefings, not hearings. Right and reports on UAPs, FY23 funding falls short of what Aero needs to fulfill its mission and maintain American air supremacy. Again, that sounds a little over the top. It is, okay? But it's the language you're use, you would use. Does that mean that Aero is about giving us air supremacy over UAP craft? No, we'll never have that, right? <laughs> but whatever. Okay, so so it goes on to talk about the fact that uh, they want this and they need this. It's kind of like a reminder to let them know. But then comes this. Joining Rubio and Gillibrand in terms of calling for the attention of certain matters were Senator Mark Warner, Democrat Virginia, Lindsey Graham, Republican South Carolina, Martin Hedrick, Democrat New Mexico, Kevin Kramer, Republican, North Dakota. Jean Shaheen, Democrat, New Hampshire. Mark Kelly, Democrat, Arizona. Elizabeth Warning, Democrat, Massachusetts. Tim Kaine, Democrat, Virginia. Michael Bennett, 
Democrat Colorado, John Hip- Hickenlooper, Democrat Colorado, Richard Colorado, Richard Blumenthal, Connecticut Democrat, and Amy Klobuchar, Democrat in Minnesota. It's basically the entire intel team. So they just the entire all of them have just associated themselves with the need for Arrow to pick up the pace. And so this goes on. It's a substantial release. Now that was February 13. Let's move ahead. April 27. Now this is a game changer. This is this is huge. If you know the issue in the history. If you don't, it's like eh letter under the US Senate letterhead, right? This is a letter to the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and the Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines. These are the two people that under the legislation that was passed in 2022 that the entity being set up at the Department of Defense would be reporting to. These are the co-bosses of Arrow, right? Whoa. So this letter goes out. Dear Secretary Austin and Director Haynes, we write with concerns about the slow implementation of the fiscal year 2023 FY23 National Defense Authorization Act guidance on, all, on the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Okay, remember, first... They put out a Rubio with the others supporting, put out a press release February 16, and then approximately uh, a little over six weeks later, I'm, I'm sorry, two months later, they follow up with a formal letter to the bosses, which kind of indicates that they're still not getting what they want, which really comes down to the fact that Arrow is a very complex, large enterprise. Uh, and it's taking time to get it together, and so it's slow. Nothing unusual about that. When it comes to things within government and the DOD and everything else, taking a long time is hardly unusual. We've got programs that have been in there for 7, 8, 10, 15 years. They still haven't come to fruition. But they're making a point of this. Interesting. They go on. The NDAA language strengthens Arrow and establishes it as the nation's clearinghouse and analytic center of gravity. I love that. I love the fact that they use gravity for unidentified anomalous phenomena. Notice the little change there? The little change, yeah. Big difference. Okay. Just, just that was their way of saying UAP could be viewed this way. Right. Now, does that mean everybody's going to convert to that? No. But it's in a letter to the Secretary of Defense and the Director of National Intelligence. So you pay attention to things like that. Going on, to inform both the intelligence community, IC, and the U.S. Department of Defense leaders about UAP and to avoid strategic intelligence surprise. Now, that's ironic. And again, I'm not trying to be a, a pain, but surprise, the U.S. government has known about the ET presence for 70 six years a long time yes yeah since roswell possibly a little earlier a couple things happened during the war maybe early 40s uh so it wouldn't surprise me if some people in government had already pretty much figured that out but after roswell it was pretty obvious uh so they're not surprised but they want to prevent further surprise really what they're saying is in order to avoid any further embarrassment on the part of the government the language articulated a series of actions to be undertaken regarding the stand-up of the office and information sharing with Congress. Now, one of the things this letter is trying to do is to remind them that this is a joint deal here. All right. You got Congress and you've got the DOD. 
and they're going to be working together, right? And they're just reminding of that. Nearly four months after enactment of the FY23 NDAA, we are concerned not to have seen more tangible evidence of implementation of the act, especially regarding the following purposes. All right. The act requires the director of Arrow, that's Sean Kirkpatrick, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, very accomplished man, perfectly appropriate to be the head of Arrow, to report directly to the principal deputy director of national intelligence or the PDNI. And the, and the Deputy Secretary of Defense, despite assurances that there was a proposed plan to implement this change in reporting and circulation, we have yet to see any final guidance issues. And secondly, the NDA specified that the Director of National Intelligence will appoint a Deputy Director of Arrow from the intelligence community. However, to date, that person has not been identified. Number three, the NDA established a secure process for Arrow to interview witnesses, make Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Again, this is April 27, 2023. The FY23 NDAA established a secure process for Arrow to interview witnesses. Why would Arrow interview witnesses as opposed to just collect citing reports? Because Arrow is partially responsible for setting up the congressional hearings that those witnesses are going to testify at. We are pleased with the number of interviews Arrow has conducted. Ah, they have conducted some interviews. They've done them, yeah. But ask that Congress be regularly informed about the content of the interviews going forward. Subsequent to this letter, Bob Salas came public and confirmed that he and a number of the other nuclear weapons...